all started with a turtle. I was almost four years old, and I was riding in my mom's Toyota Tercel. We were heading down Highway 64. That's the Rosman Highway there in Brevard, North Carolina. My older brother Don was in the car too. He was seven years old. I don't remember this story myself, but my mom tells it from time to time with a combination of regret and thankfulness. It was an eastern box turtle. We have a lot of those there in the Carolinas. And it was trying to make its way across this busy four-lane highway. Well, my mom saw it crossing, just heading into the first of those four lanes, and she thought it would be a good time to teach Don and me a little bit of compassion and a little bit of stewardship. So she pulled the car over and parked on the side of the highway there, and she and Don got out. She didn't want to handle the turtle herself. Her compassion only goes so far. So she asked Don to pick it up. And then the two of them waited until a window opened up in the traffic, and they crossed those four lanes. If you live in a turtle-rich area, you'll know that you have to bring a turtle in the direction it's heading instead of back the way it came from. Otherwise, they'll just turn around and keep on heading the way that they wanted to originally go. So they crossed those four lanes of traffic and they set the turtle down in the grass so that it could continue on its way. Well, that would have been the end of it. But at that point, they turned around to start to cross back toward the car and they saw me. I had become really interested in the great turtle resettling project. So I had unfastened my seatbelt, opened the door, climbed out of the car, and I was standing right behind the car, just about to go join my mom and brother on the other side of that very busy highway. My mom was panic-stricken. She realized in a flash that she had not told me to stay where I was. Cars were coming in both directions, so she couldn't get to me. All she could do was shout and hope that I heard and listened. She shouted, no, Jeremiah, stop, don't come. Well, I still wanted to see the turtle, but my mom had never steered me wrong before. So I did what she said. I stayed put and I waited for mom and Don to cross back over. My mom wrote a journal entry later that day in June of 1984, and I'd like to read a little excerpt from it. This journal is uh, really valuable to me, and it's very interesting, partly because she wrote it in my voice. She kept a journal like this for me and also one for each of my siblings. Here's the excerpt written in the voice of almost four-year-old me. Mama shouted, No, Jeremiah, stop, don't come. Cars were coming both directions and she could not come to me, so I just stood still and waited. She kept shouting to me, Don't move, stay there, and I obeyed. We are all very glad I did. Had I not obeyed, I could be dead or badly hurt right now, and all for a turtle. I'm glad Mommy and Daddy taught me to obey. So that's a story that my mom sometimes tells to show that obedience can save lives. My life really could have ended that day. But since I knew that my mom knew better than me, and that it was good for me to do what she said without asking questions, I lived. 
Throughout my childhood, I remained happy to obey my parents and to accept that what they said was wise, and I pretty much always did it. But then, 10 or 11 years after that fateful turtle crossing day, when I was 15 or so, I started to think differently about my parents and what they told me to do. I had learned a lot over the years. And by the time I was 15 or so, I started to be pretty impressed with my intellectual capacity. I started to sometimes really amaze myself with my grades at school, with my ability to reason, with the music I would write and perform, or with the books I would read. And before long, I started to think that I didn't really have any need for my parents or any other authority figures to tell me how to live my life. I was capable. I was resourceful. I was basically an adult. I was hardworking. So what use would I have for my mom and dad to run my life? Well, after I started to think that way, from age 15 to 25 or so, I went on relying on my judgment. And during that time, life was not very stable. There were financial troubles. There were interpersonal conflicts and struggles. And just in general, there was not much stability or peace in my life. And it was the same way for a great number of my friends at that age. From our teenage years all the way through to our mid and even late 20s, we had the intellect and the powers of reasoning to do well in high school and in college, but we were impulsive and erratic. We couldn't seem to navigate our own lives in stable ways. And it's really the same for all people during those ages. And just a few years ago, neuroscientists found out why. It used to be thought that children turned into almost adults, adults with fewer miles on them, uh, when they passed through puberty. And they kind of looked like adults, and you had the expectation that their brain, because their body looks like an adult, that their brain should also be structurally like an adult. Well, it's far from the truth. Um, The teenage brain um, is not there all the way. It takes often into your early 20s and possibly late 20s and you know, maybe even beyond for the brain to fully mature to adult levels. That's Frances Jensen, MD. She's the author of The Teenage Brain, and she's also professor and chair of the Department of Neurology at the University of Pennsylvania Perlman School of Medicine. This is from an interview that Jensen had with NPR earlier this year. Jensen and other neurologists have found that the prefrontal cortex and the frontal cortex which is the very front of the brain, take years and years, far longer than the rest of the brain, to fully develop and to fully connect to the rest of the brain. That doesn't completely happen until around age 30 for most people. And guess what those parts of the brain do? These are areas where we have insight, empathy, uh, These executive functions, such as impulse control, risk-taking behavior, uh, is suppressed by activity in your frontal lobes. So for a mature brain, the prefrontal and frontal cortex are fully connected to the rest of the brain, and they control impulses. They suppress risk-taking behavior. They help a person to make sound judgments and to have insight and empathy. These parts of the brain help us link past experiences to a current situation, And they 
let us consider what the future consequences will be of choices that we might take. A mature brain is equipped with the connections to do all of that. But in a younger brain, one that's in the teenage years or even in the 20s, those parts of the brain are not yet online. So a person who is younger doesn't really have the mental wiring in place to control impulses and to suppress risk-taking behavior and to make sound judgments. This doesn't have anything to do with intelligence. Teenagers and people in their 20s can attain remarkable intelligence. They can master calculus and learn Mandarin and win Nobel Prizes. They can write brilliant novels and conduct groundbreaking research in all kinds of scientific fields. They can accomplish all kinds of intellectual marvels. But what is not developed for young brains is judgment and impulse control, the ability to weigh factors to make wise personal decisions. Teenagers are not as readily able to access their frontal lobe to say, oh, I better not do this. An adult is much more likely to control impulses or weigh out different factors in decisions um, where a teenager may not actually have full online um, in-the-moment capacity. And that's why we see this increased in risk, you know, classic sort of increase in risky behavior. Engaging in risky behavior can mean a lot of different things. But in a large percentage of cases, it can even mean a full-blown life-threatening crisis. There was a study published last year by the Wheel Cornell Medical College showing that during the adolescent years and early 20s, mortality rates go up by 200%. So even though people are stronger than ever before, of higher reasoning capacity than ever before, and more resistant to diseases than they ever were before, they suddenly start dying at three times the rates of children. The study found that this massive increase is due to preventable deaths associated with adolescents and people in their 20s who put themselves in harm's way. So it's basically impulsive behaviors that end up being fatal. All because they trust in the decisions of a brain that has vital regions not yet functioning. Jensen made clear that it's not so much that these vital regions of the brain are not present in young people as much as it is that they are not fully connected to the rest of the brain. And one of the main drivers of this is the way our brain connects regions to each other inside the brain. Uh, These uh, connection tracks have to be insulated for very fast signaling. And we have a natural insulation that's similar to the insulation around an electrical wire, which is usually a, a you know, rubber insulation, um, we have something, a natural insulation called myelin. It's a fat, and it takes time. Cells have to build myelin, and they grow it and around the outside of these tracks. And that takes years. It's interesting. It goes from the back of your brain to the front. So the last place to be connected, to be fully myelinated, is the front of your brain. And what's in the front? Your prefrontal cortex and your frontal cortex. So the very last regions to grow this insulation, insulation that connects them to the rest of the brain, are none other than the prefrontal cortex and the frontal cortex, those areas that contain higher judgments and insight and empathy and impulse control, 
all of those functions that you could collectively call emotional maturity. And when I first read about the research that Jensen and the other neurologists have done, and when I first discovered all that they've learned about the incomplete brains of teenagers and even people in their 20s and uh, up to 30, it was really astounding to me. It was something that I wish I had known when I was in my teenage years and when I was in my 20s. I thought I was fully capable at that time. I thought that since I had intellectual power, that it meant I also had powers of higher judgment and insight, but I didn't. My brain just physically didn't have those regions really online yet. And like many teenagers and 20-somethings, I made my fair share of impulsive and bad decisions. I think that if I had known about the prefrontal and frontal cortex, it would have made me less self-reliant. It would have made me less likely to think that I knew best. And it would have made me more skeptical of my own emotions, less likely to obey those emotions. Aristotle once said, Anybody can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person, and to the right degree, and at the right time, and for the right purpose, and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power, and is not easy. If I'd known when I was younger that I was basically emotionally handicapped, I think I would have understood the wisdom in that statement better. And maybe I would have been more humble in my interaction with other people. And I think it would have made me more likely to accept the guidance and direction of my parents and other authority figures. And if I had done that, it would have spared me some trouble and some suffering. But really, I shouldn't have had to learn this vital lesson from advances in the field of neuroscience. We shouldn't need neuroscientists to convince us that we need our parents' wisdom. Because thousands of years before all of those scientific discoveries about the brain were made, the God who created human beings made all of this clear. If you look at a passage in Numbers chapter 4 and verses 1 through 4, it says, Take the sum of the sons of Koath from among the sons of Levi, from thirty years old and upward... All that enter into the host to do the work in the tabernacle of the congregation, this shall be the service of the sons of Koath in the tabernacle of the congregation about the most holy things. So this command is essentially telling ancient Israel at what age the sons from that Levitical family should become active in their priestly duties. And it says that they should start at age 30. And then verses 23 and 30 of that same chapter say to do the same thing with the other families from the tribe of Levi. Take the sons from 30 years old and upward to do the work in the tabernacle. Being a Levite in that position would have been a very taxing job requiring vast emotional maturity and sound judgment and empathy and insight. And since God created the human brain, and the timetable of its development, he knew that these men were typically best prepared for that weighty responsibility only around age 30. 
And now neuroscience has come out and said, guess what? The brain isn't fully mature and prepared for lots of emotional heavy lifting and sound judgment until the late 20s or age 30. So it's a fascinating instance of modern science essentially confirming scriptures written long, long ago. Now, there were times when the Bible says the age for entering the priestly service was reduced to 25 or even 20 years old. You can read about those in Numbers 8.24, 1 Chronicles 23.24, and also Ezra 3.8. But it looks like those were usually during abnormal times, times of desperation when the population had suffered losses due to displacement or war. So abnormal circumstances forced the nation to allow younger men to start to do the job. So the preference was for the priests to be 30 when they started, but in a pinch, they could be a little younger. And then there's also the example of David, who was anointed much earlier in life, but who didn't become king until he was 30 years old. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 5, 4. There was also Ezekiel, who was called by God to become a prophet at age 30. And then John the Baptist, who was also 30 when he came out of the wilderness to pave the way for Christ's second coming. And Jesus Christ himself officially started his ministry at age 30. Before that time, he grew in stature, wisdom, and favor with God and man, according to Luke 2:52. But then Luke 3:23 says, "When he was about 30 years old, he began his ministry." Of course, having a full measure of the Holy Spirit, Christ would have been in quite a different category from other men, but it's still likely that he wanted to set an example for people by sticking to the age of 30, the age that the Levites had been commanded to enter the priesthood at. So around age 30, there seems to be a pretty significant transition. It certainly doesn't mean that someone who has reached the late 20s or 30 is suddenly enlightened or perfect, but it seems to be an age when the brain has reached a physical state that allows for more consistent sound judgments and more emotional maturity. And when people are sometimes better prepared for major leadership roles. When people are younger than that, they might spare themselves some suffering and trouble by realizing the limitations of their powers of judgment and by listening to parents and other authority figures and even seeking advice and guidance from them. None of this is to say that people should just sit around and wait till they turn 25 or 30 before they really do anything with their lives. Of course, that's not true. And actually, Dr. Jensen was quick to explain in the interview that while there are serious limitations that the young brain has, there are also major advantages that come with the way the young brain develops and with the remarkable plasticity that it has during these teenage and 20-something years. We talk a lot about the downside of the limitations of, oh, the teen brain, you know, no insight, no judgment. Well, of course, there's some. It, it's a gradual process. Um, it's not never all or none. But there's also wonderful, um, this is a wonderful time in life for uh, 
teenagers, this is a time where because of their enhanced synaptic plasticity, they can learn faster, they can absorb more information. So those early years are invaluable for learning and absorbing and preparing and working hard to become educated. I'd like to read a quote here from the author and world-renowned educator, Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong. Here he's writing on the topic of the teenage years and the 20s. And even before neuroscience proved all of this, Mr. Armstrong understood that the brain was not fully mature during these ages. And he understood that during these years, the brain was at its height, its capacity to absorb and learn. He wrote, These are the crucial years of preparation. During these years, the mind is capable of acquiring, faster than at any other stage of life, the advanced knowledge needed before beginning one's adult career, whether it be business, profession, occupation, or marriage. So there's plenty to do during those years, but we should not trust in ourselves for making all of those higher-level judgments and all of the, the weighty emotional decisions. And there's a valuable spiritual analogy in this that's applicable to people of all ages. We can often reason at impressively high levels, and we can come to wield a very impressive intellect But if we rely on the three pounds of meat between our ears, we can't make moral judgments. To make sound moral judgments, we cannot trust our own minds and hearts. We can't think that we know the difference between what's good and what's evil. To know that difference, we need the wisdom of a more mature and more experienced being. And if we learn the crucial difference between intellectual capability and moral ability, then we will come to see that in order to make sound moral decisions, we desperately need to learn to rely on the God that created us. That way, whether we're young, middle-aged, or old, when we are told to stop, to stay put, and not to walk out into the traffic of life, No matter how alluring a turtle or anything else may look, we will obey a wiser authority, and it just might save our lives. We're coming to the end of The Sun Also Rises, and I'd like to really thank you for listening. I'd also like to thank everyone who has sent in feedback and those who have shared the episodes on social media, and those who have subscribed on SoundCloud and iTunes and other podcast platforms, and those who have left online reviews and ratings, please keep it up. And also, please keep those comments coming. Just send an email to tsar at kpcg.fm. I'll leave you today with an ancient Serbian proverb. Be humble, for you're made of earth. Be noble, for you're made of stars. (laughs) 